Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your written word. I thank you for your prophetic word. Lord, I thank you that when those two intersect, it's a word in season. Lord, that you highlight what we need to hear in the moment we need to hear it. Now, Lord, I ask you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Why don't you go ahead and turn with me. Uh, turn, turn with me to Proverbs 24. Proverbs 24. You know, honey, I, I, was, I was reading about honey yesterday. I should have known better. I, I, was, I started to teach or uh, study on covenant, and I thought, I'm just going to look a few things up about honey because of an encounter I had with the Lord a week ago. And uh, man, I got stuck in the honey. And so now I got to speak on it this morning. But uh, I was looking, I was reading about honey, and it, this, this is some things I discovered about honey. Honey was considered a staple of life in ancient times, a necessity for healthy living. This is why it is noted of the promised land, it's a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. The, why was that such a prominent promise in the Bible? Because they understood, they looked at honey as one of the primary staples of life. It was necessary for healthy living. Matter of fact, uh, bee pollen is the only single food we could survive on as human beings. It carries all of our 21 amino acid, 22 amino acids, all of our vitamins and all of our minerals. And so, and the, another interesting thing about honey, it is the only food that will never go bad. Now that'll preach. It's the only food that will never go bad. Because of its low water content and acidic pH, it is not hospitable, a hospitable place for bacteria or yeast spoilage. Honey has been found in ancient tombs, thousands of years old, and it's still pre preserved in perfect condition. You could eat it. Now, I don't know that I would, but you could. Because it's, it's still in the same state. It, it doesn't go bad. Uh, and so uh, for centuries, honey has also been used to treat wounds and has pr been proven to speed the healing process. It is especially effective for treatment of burns. It is also known to build immunities against asthma, allergies, and hay fever. Uh, you know, and reactions, the body's reactions to environmental conditions. Honey will curb that and... and uh, Especially if you eat, what you do is you eat local honey to cure local allergies. So if you're having allergies from a given place, you eat the honey from that place and it will help your body kind of, uh, you know, mellow out and, and uh, get leveled out. Honey is also used in a, as an antibiotic. Along with honey, bees also produce what's called propolis known as the bee penicillin. They coat their hives with it to kill any viruses, bacteria, or fungus. It's an amazing thing. And so you've got these tiny little bees. Matter of fact, I, I, I was reading yesterday, I think it's, they say it's some, oh, I forget. I, I want to say 7,000 bees have to fly some 75,000 miles and hit millions of flowers in order to make one pound of honey. There's a lot that goes into one pound of honey. 
It's such a valuable thing. And all through scripture, it was looked at as something valuable. And again, that's why God promised that the promised land would be a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, for me, the way I, I stumbled into this again uh, a week ago Saturday night. By the way, we have a prayer meeting here every Saturday night from 8 to 9 p.m. And so if you can make it out, we would love to have you. A lot of times we'll just soak in the presence of the Lord in different places. We'll put music on. And then about half, court, about, uh, half past, we'll begin to just give some direction and prayer. And then we'll gather up here. And it wasn't last night, but the week before, as we came up, uh, all of a sudden, just I, I saw in the spirit God releasing a wave of honey, and uh, man, we started getting touched. Oh, Roger, he he got he got really touched. If you know Roger McKim, Roger ended up on the floor. Put it that way. He and uh, so th- I just saw this wave of honey, and the Lord reminded me of an encounter I had about ten years ago. And it was during a very hard time in my life. I came into a prayer meeting, ready to go to war. Uh, I, I wanted to go to war and really turn the tide on this situation. But every time I'd come up towards the front of the church, I'd get right in here. And it was like I got stuck in something serpy in the spirit. And it was like, I was just like, Lord. And the Lord started ministering to me like he's just loving on me. I thought, Lord, this is serious. Stop it. You know, we're, we're going to war here. We're going to turn this thing. But every time I'd get up here, I just kept getting touched by the Lord. So I called everybody forward. And uh, when I did, I, was, I just tried to give some direction to the prayer meeting. Everybody looked at me like, you're not making sense. And I'm sure I wasn't. So I said, Christopher, why don't you say something? And he reached over and put his hand on me. And when he did, I felt something on my left side. And all of a sudden, I was aware of this angel that was on my left side. And I hit the floor and I went into this vision. Now, I shared this last week. But in the vision... Uh, I knew I was in 1 Samuel chapter 14. And it's where Jonathan and his armor bearer were pursuing the enemy after the Lord was bringing a great victory because Jonathan had taken this step out. And uh, I knew, suddenly, I I, I knew what passage I was in. I was on the forest floor. And because of the circumstances I was in presently in my life at that time, I I remember just laying on this forest floor in this vision, and I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm so tired. I'm just tired. It's like, man, I've been pushing on this thing for months and years, and it's not giving. And all of a sudden in the vision, I saw the Lord from his, like his knees down, walk up in his sandals and his robe, and all of a sudden he put out a staff, and there was a, a honeycomb, and he stuck his staff in the honeycomb and put it to my mouth three times, and this is what he told me. He said, I'm a good father. I'm a wise father. I never withhold the honey when you're in pursuit of this enemy. I always leave a little honey along the trail. And I got so happy. (laughs) I got touched by the Lord that night. So much so that the next day when I got up to preach on the change we were making in the church, and it was a hard thing for me to do, but we made this change. And when I did, people got up and gave a standing ovation and started shouting. A pastor friend of mine was here that day, and he said, you got, you Heartland is the weirdest church. He said, you give bad news, and people are like pumping their fists up, yeah, glory. But it was because the honey was released in the room. It was the encouragement of the Lord, the encouraging word of the Lord. Now, Some of you, uh, I don't know your backgrounds. You might think, well, Pastor Dave, I think that was your imagination. I don't, that's fine. That's between you and Jesus. I'm just telling you that the Lord ministered to me out of that passage. 
And so last Saturday night, the Lord brought that back to my remembrance. And he began to minister to me out of this again. And, and uh, just talking to me about the honey that God leaves along the trail. And so again, I'm here to tell you this morning, God has left some honey along the trail to strengthen you in pursuit of the enemy. So let's read this, Psalm 24, verse 13 and 14. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. And so in this Proverbs, the, the, the writer ties wisdom he, he compares wisdom to the honey that God leaves for us. Now, we've been doing a series on the Spirit, which brought us into a series on wisdom, and then I stumbled into the honey a week ago, and those two things go hand in hand. Honey is wisdom. It's a word in season that God gives you to encourage you. Now, if you look in the passage of 1 Samuel chapter 14, what happened was Jonathan and his armor bearer, well, Jonathan and the entire army of Israel were with his father, Saul, and they were all hanging out under this tree while the enemy's outpost was a ways off. And Jonathan and his armor bearer slipped away, unbeknownst to everybody else, and Jonathan put a fleece out before the Lord. He said, we're going we're gonna to attack the outpost, just the two of them. He said, if they say to us, come up here, then we'll know it's God. In other words, if they're lazy, if they don't want to get off their Philistine duffs and come after us, then we'll know it's God. But if they, if they come after us, we'll know that God's not in this and we'll, we'll get out of here. And so they yell to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up here and we'll give you some, buddy. And he said, it's the Lord. And so they began to climb up this cliff. But if you read the text, there were two cliffs on each side. So there was this narrow channel. So as the Philistines would come down, Jonathan and his armor bearer began to kill them one by one so that like 20 24 of them fell in just a few moments, and then God entered the battle. There was an earthquake, and the Philistine outpost, the Philistines at a farther place, the Philistine guard, another part of their army, all began to run in fear, and that's when it caught the attention of the other Israelites, and they got their attention. Hey, something's going on. Who's not here? And they found out it was Jonathan and his armor bearer. Well, that was, so they, the Israelites began to pick up and they began to pursue the enemy through the fields that day, through the forest, and, but Saul made an unwise declaration. He said, anybody that eats before we totally annihilate the enemy will be killed. And so as the soldiers are running through the woods, they saw some honey. But they were afraid to put it to their mouth. And so at the end of the battle, they grabbed some animals, killed them, and began to eat the raw meat with blood in it. That's how hungry they were. They were so exhausted. But it was Saul's unwise decision that brought this on the children of Israel. So Saul told them, stop, stop. You, you've, you've sinned against the Lord because they weren't supposed to eat meat with blood in it. They, you know, you can eat medium rare, but not completely rare, okay? And so... But Jonathan hadn't heard the command, so he took the honey, and it says he put it to his mouth, and his eyes were brightened. He was strengthened, and Jonathan said to the other soldiers, they said, Jonathan, don't do it, and it was too late. They said, your father has put a curse on anybody that would eat of it. And he said, my father has said an unwise thing. For look how my eyes have brightened. Look how much, look, what, what more victory would have fell to us had we eaten of the honey. 
And so the honey in that passage was the strength of the Lord. God left provision along the trail to strengthen him. And so God leaves honey along the trail for us. But it comes in the form of wisdom, principles, nuggets of wisdom that God has hidden, but they're hidden in the hard places. So we see this in Psalm 24. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb, it's sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Honey is like the wisdom that God gives to us. Now, Scripture is very clear. We are to meditate on the Word of God. Now, I'm hesitant to go into how honey is produced because I'm probably going to, like, cancel all the honey sales in this area if I really tell you what happens. But I can't help it, okay? I'm going to go for it. What little bees do is they have a little, they have a honey belly, okay? They have a, they have a belly and they go to plants and they, they suck of the nectar of these various plants. And if you were able to isolate the plant that they were to take it from, then the honey would have a unique taste. So every nectar will produce a different kind of honey. And what they do is they fill this honey belly that's equal to the weight of the bee. So he's flying around you know, weighed down and his belly's hanging. And then what he does is he goes to the hive and I know you're, you're going to gross out. He will regurgitate out of his belly into the mouth of another bee, that, that honey. And the other bee drinks it out of his mouth and he puts it in his uh, honey belly. And there's enzymes in the, uh, the bee's belly that mix with this nectar that crystallize it into this sugary honey. And it go, this process goes on and on between hundreds of bees. And the way they carry it is they regurgitate it into each other's mouth, swallow it, secrete the enzymes, and they regurgitate it to the next guy until finally they put it in these little octagonal containers of wax that they have already produced and they put a wax seal over it and that's the honeycomb. Is that gross or what? But it's so good. But that's... And the, the word that we use for meditation literally means to chew the cud. You know, uh, cows have numerous bellies. They'll swallow and then they'll spit it back up, chew it some more and they process it. I know... And matter of fact, even when, when Scripture talks about uh, feeding like a child, it has the idea of a mother chewing the food for the child. In ancient times, they didn't just go buy their little Gerber, you know, with the Gerber baby on it. They would have to process the food any way they could. And so there's this idea of chewing on it, processing it. And it's that idea of taking wisdom and looking for it, being the honey hunter, and finding where the honey is and then processing that so we can extract everything we can out of that revelation. So I want to take a few minutes very quickly and I want to tell you three places in Scripture, or not three places in Scripture, three scenarios from Scripture that tell us three places where we can find the honey of revelation. Okay? So the first place where we can find the honey of revelation is in the wilderness testing. Now listen to Psalm 119 before we get into that. Psalm 119, verses 10 through 11. 
it's talking about the decrees of the Lord. Psalm, Psalm, or I think it's Psalm 19. It might be Psalm 119. But it, it's talking about the word of the Lord is pure. The word of the, it's a psalm about the word of the Lord, and it says this. The decrees of the Lord in verse 9, and then verse 10 it says, are more to be desired than gold. Some of you will remember this song, and it will date you, because it's from the 70s. I remember this song. Not when it was an old song, but when it was a fairly new one. The decrees of the Lord are more to be desired than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. How many remember that song? More to be desired are they than gold. Yep. It, uh, so it's that, that idea that the word is like honey. But it's not the general word, it's the specific word, okay? It's not the academic word. It's the prophetic. In the sense, I don't, I don't mean that you have to get a word from someone else. What I mean is it's not the general knowledge, it's the now of God. The old word of faith people. Some of you come from a word of faith background, and there was the distinction that was often made, and rightly so, of the rhema and the logos. You know, the, the, the logos is the general knowledge of the word of God, but the rhema was that word that's made real in the moment. It's the word that you need in that moment that's made alive. And so we've got to store up the logos so that God can speak to us a word in season. And if you don't have the word stored up, he has nothing to draw from. And so the language of the spirit is the word of God. The more you know the book, the more God can speak to you by the Spirit. We talk about the voice of God. Well, before you can be attuned to the voice of God, if you really want to make sure you're discerning correctly the voice of God, you get familiar with the book of God. God has already spoken to us in his word. And one of the things he tells us in his word is that he hasn't lost his voice, that he does still speak, but we have to have something by which to judge the, the voice of the Lord, and the voice of the Lord is written or judged by the, the word of God. The subjective encounters, like my encounter on that floor when I went into that vision and I saw Jesus. How do I know that was God? It was rooted in the scripture. It, I knew the passage I was in and God began to speak to me and tie it in with the word of God. We've got to judge all of our experience by the word of God. But the honey is not that general, academic, overall body of knowledge that you accumulate of the word of God. And that is crucial. It's that word in season that God picks out and gives you the word that's relevant to you right now. Now, we're, although we're talking about that, it's essential that we understand the importance of accumulating knowledge. The more you know, the more he can speak to you. If your level of knowledge of the word is at the level of goo goo gaga, then the level that God can speak to you is coochie-coochie-coo, okay? <laughs> if you want a little more than a coochie-coochie-coo from the Lord, then begin to build the vocabulary of the Spirit by understanding the book. Because God will often not just speak a verse to you, he will speak the overall principles to you. If you don't understand overarching principles, you're going to miss a lot. The Bible is not reduced to verses 
and stories, we have to mind, we got to go deeper than that. Oh, I know the stories, or I know that verse. I remember in Bible school, there were, I had friends that, man, they would memorize large portions of Scripture, and that's great. I, I used to do that a lot, and today I'm reaping the benefits of that. But I remember guys that would, they would memorize these verses, and I would say, what does that mean? And they would just quote it again. And I would press them, and they were clueless as to what it meant. They had a level of knowledge, but it's not enough to sustain you. We need to get below the surface and understand what does it mean. What are the principles we can derive out? We're studying an ancient book and applying it to a contemporary culture. And some of the things the ancient book addresses are no longer happening in our culture. But that doesn't make the principles of that passage irrelevant. Now hang with me here. Let me say it again. There are certain passages where it says, don't boil a lamb in its mother's milk. How many of you have been tempted to do that in the last two weeks? Okay. That is not a custom that we do a lot. I, matter of fact, I don't think, let me see, how long has it been? Never. I've never done that. But there's a principle there that we can derive. What that is, I don't know. But I'm sure there's one, okay? There's a principle there that we can derive from that passage that we lift out of that ancient text and we apply it to the modern world. But if we just have a shallow interaction with the word, we're dealing, you could call that command level uh, knowledge. I just know the commands. I want to know more than what God said. I want to know why he said it. And he longs to bring us into that. That's why David in Psalm 25 cried out, Oh God, show me your ways. Moses, of Moses it was said that he, God showed him his ways. He showed Israel his works, but Moses his ways. What does that mean? When you know the ways of God, you can anticipate his behavior. You know the motivations of his heart. You don't know just what he did. You know the backstory. You know what's motivating his heart. And if you know the principles that motivate God's heart, then you can apply those principles that happened in an ancient culture that tells you, don't boil a lamb in its mother's milk. You can take those principles and you find the modern application. It's very, very important that we understand the word at that level. And then, as we're accumulating this understanding over time, God can reach in and highlight things and give you revelation. But if you don't study, you haven't provided the Spirit of God who said, I will bring all things to your remembrance He's going to bring them to your remembrance. But that means you had to put them in your remembrance. Because if you don't have it in your remembrance, he doesn't, can't bring it to your remembrance. Okay, that's bad English, but that's good preaching. Okay, He's, he, if you don't put it in your memory bank, he can't bring it to your remembrance. And so we've got to get an overall working knowledge. And there's this beautiful dance we live with the Lord that we're studying the ancient book and he's speaking to us in the moment. He's highlighting those things that we learn to live between the word and the spirit because they're one. And that's the way we keep ourselves safe. There's the old saying, you've all heard it, most of you at least. The word without the spirit and you'll dry up. The spirit without the word and you'll blow up. The spirit with the word you'll grow up. You ever, you ever heard that? This, well, I guess, I've been around a while. The, the, the word and the spirit are one and we need them both. 
We need to anchor things in the word. So uh, there's three places to find the honey, okay? The revelation. What's God going to show you? Okay, the first one, in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 32, 13. This is from Moses' song over Israel. The, Moses' last kind of will and testament. He got before Israel and he sings it out in a song. These people he led out of captivity and now he's going to give them his last pronouncement. He gives them an overview of the history of their walk with God and he does it in a song state. And he says this in verse 13. He made him, speaking of Israel, ride on the heights of the land and fed him with the fruits of the field. Listen to this. He nourished him with honey from the rock and with oil from the flinty crag. He nourished him with honey from the rock. Psalm 81 reiterates this same picture. Verse 16, but you will be fed with the finest of wheat. With honey from the rock, I will satisfy you. What is the deal with that? Honey in the rock. Some of you will remember the song that we, the old timers used to sing, there's honey in the rock, my brother. There's honey in the rock for you. Anybody remember that? I'm, man, it's like two of you. Man, I'm really dating myself now. <laughs> what is this honey in the rock thing? Matter of fact, Moses said of Israel, and, and the one in Psalm, by the way, is a promise. He, he, what he says essentially in that passage, he doesn't bear it out in that, very, that specific verse, but preceding it, he said, if you would have obeyed me, I would have fed you with honey from the rock. Moses said of Israel, he nourished him. Or some translations, which are a more literal, more accurate translation from the Hebrew says this. He caused you to suck from honey from the rock or to uh, nurse honey from the rock. It's the picture of a, a child nursing at its mother's breast. But he's using of honey in the rock. That literally he's going to nourish you as a child from, with honey from the rock. What he's saying is that it's in the wilderness experience. It was John the baptizer who came from the wilderness. He was a, from a community known as Qumran. He was, they were these wilderness dudes that withdrew from society and studied the scrolls. And they were, they were going after God. And John began to have revelation out in the wilderness. It says he was sustained by bugs and honey. He lived on this stuff, but he was a man of the wilderness. And we see this idea emerge again and again in Scripture. It's in those times where God takes you in a wilderness time, where it's like your, your, your senses are being starved. You're, it's, it's not those times of abundance. It's the times where God takes you. And often the wilderness are transition times from the, the thing you were involved in before and now into the new things. And it's like everything begins to dry up and die. You're in the wilderness. But God says, in the wilderness, I've hidden some honey in the hard places. But what happens is often we get offended by the hard places or we're distracted by the pain of what's dying around us. We're, we're in those times of wilderness deprivation and we've all been there. Remember when I was in Teen Challenge, we used to, I'm trial and I'm in the wilderness. We had all these Christian terms. What we meant is we're going through a hard time. But what we need to understand is those times have honey hidden for us. There is revelation there in those times you will not get anywhere else. 
We're not called to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. You catch that? It, the knowledge of good will not change you. It's not just, well, don't study evil. It's the knowledge of good as well. You are not meant to be a person of theory because God is not a person of theory. What, we're to, what are we to eat from? We're to eat from the tree of life. Jesus said in John chapter 8, they who follow after me will never walk in darkness. They will have the light of life. In other words, life itself will become a light. You will learn by experience. You will learn by walking with God through things. And you will discover things in the real experience you would have never known having sat back and read it in someone's book. Now, books are great. I've got books. I love books. It's one of my passions. But I'm telling you, the, the only time a book's really helped me was when I was going through something severe and I picked up a book and it answered the question I had in the moment or I stored away some book and I read it and God brought it back to my memory in the moment. It didn't become real until I needed it. My favorite author from one of my favorite books was T. Austin Sparks in his book, The School of Christ. And he said this, he said, God keeps revelation of himself wrapped up in experience. He said, if God gives you Insight that's not connected to a need, it's mere information, it's not revelation. And so then he warns you of this. If you really want to know him, if you're crying out to know him in a deeper way, then you must learn to live at the edge of need your entire life. God will cause you to live in such a way that you're always in need. You're, there's some area of your life that's lacking and you're crying out for God to fill it. And that's the only way he really keeps himself alive to you. He becomes the answer. Everybody wants to see healing, but no one wants to be sick. And the only way to know him as healer is to, to experience that healing. Everybody wants to know him as Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but no one wants to have a financial need. But what God will do is he will lead you through a process and financial needs, and he will become the answer, and he will make himself real. Someone, a pastor, wrote me this morning. He said, hey, I'm preaching on such and such. Could you give me the greatest answer to prayer you ever experienced in your, in your life? I'm like, huh. Wow, that's, I had to think for a while, and uh, not because there wasn't one, it just, so I gave him three, and the first one I gave him, this was from 35 years ago, but I was in Bible school, and I, God told me to go to school. I didn't have the money. Matter of fact, they said, you can't come unless you pay cash, because they experienced other young people who did the same thing, and I had to kick them out. And, and I just didn't have the money. And I told the Lord, God, I, you've called me to go. You're going to have to provide the money. And I was walking across a parking lot, and I felt something in the spirit, this tension snap, and I knew. They called. I got to the office, and they said, the school just called. They said, you can come. So I went. I'm flat broke, and I started working two, three jobs and, and doing odd stuff to, to get through school. And I remember I was going to be kicked out the next day. I mean, I needed $600, and it may have well have been $600,000. And I needed it the next day, and a check came in the mail for $600, exactly. Then, and it, that happened for months. I would need money. I mean, just the exact amount would be right there. And I mean, just at the last moment. And I wouldn't trade those times for anything because it became so real to me. 
He became my provider. That isn't theory to me. I know him as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I've probably told this story, but let me brag on God again. When Kathy and I lost our little four-year-old son back in the early 90s, we were working for Teen Challenge, and Teen Challenge, especially back then, they just couldn't afford to pay you much. And so when, when he passed, uh, a funeral for a little child is a lot of money. And so, man, God took care of everything. I mean, we had strangers give us, uh, you know, we got things in the mail, and, and all of a sudden, when the, the funeral was paid off, the money stopped. And then about four months later, I get a, a bill in the mail, and it was from an ambulance company. And it was for like $462.38. I don't remember, some odd figure like that, 400-something, odd, odd pennies and stuff. And there was another letter. It was from Pastor Ed Abishan at Newton Assembly, where we used to go to church at the time. And I opened that, and it was a letter and a check. And the letter said, Dave, we've been praying for you as a family. When you guys lost your son, Alex, we took up an offering one Sunday night when you weren't here and just felt like we're to hold on to it until now and felt like it was time to release it. I hope this helps. And I look at the check, and to the penny. To me, that was, yeah. To me, that was, that was better... That was better than a $20,000 check because it was God's little kiss that I know where you're at. God was revealing himself as provider. We don't know him as provider. We don't know him unless we're in situations where he has to deliver us. But here's the catch. Most of us run from that kind of stuff. We, we, we try to avoid any way in which we're going to have any kind of... We want to be self-sufficient because then there's no anxiety. And I want to tell you, there's also no revelation. You'll be a person of theory who will have to tell other people's stories. So the first place to hunt for honey is in the hard place in the wilderness. Number two, in the midst of battle. He leaves a little honey along the trail. I talked about that last week. Revelation is hammered out in practice and experience. We're not called to eat of the tree of knowledge. So we'll just move on to the last one because we need to do communion. Here's the other one. This, this one is interesting to me. Judges chapter 14, verse 8. Okay, let's set the context. Samson is out one day. He's, he's walking along with his parents out by a vineyard. And somehow it, they must have got separated because it says that a lion came upon him and the Spirit of God came on him and he ripped it. He ripped it and just, just tore the lion like he did, it says, like he would a small goat. Now, I'm, I'm kind of impressed by the small goat myself, you know. I'm thinking, how do you rip a small goat, you know? Well, I'm trying to work up to that. But he rips this lion and just destroy it. Doesn't tell his, his mom and dad. But then it says in that same passage, a little while later, it says this, verse 8. Sometime later, when he went back to marry this girl he was bringing his parents to go meet, he's, gonna, he's bringing them to introduce them to this girl he likes, and he kills a lion on the way. That's a bad dude. And so he doesn't even tell his mom and dad. They get there, and uh, now he's going back to see the girl he's going to marry her. And it says he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. 
but he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass, probably because they wouldn't have been real interested in eating it, you know? Yeah, that, that disease-ridden carcass, I got some honey out of it. So here's, yeah, I agree. Here's the point. There is often honey in the carcass of your defeated foe, but you need to revisit the site of your past victories. There is honey that is still there for you to discover and to share with your family. Samson revisited the site of a victory in his life. This is a major victory. He, he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. And the text specifically says he's going to see that girl. And like any guy, hey, I'm going to go look at that lion again. <laughs> you know, see what I did that day. And he goes over and he looks and he sees some bees made a, a beehive. And there was a honeycomb and there was honey dripping from the comb. So he scooped it out and he brought it to He ate it. It says he ate it along the way. See, it wasn't just an event. It wasn't just a one-time thing, a, a word of encouragement. There was more lessons. There was more revelation to be derived out of the battle that he'd already won. And it wasn't just something for his own consumption. It was something for him to consume along the way, to keep reminding himself, to keep eating on, and then even to share with his family. And I'm concerned that a lot of times, I know I've been there, one time the Lord rebuked me. Well, it wasn't just one time, but this is the specific time, okay? One time the Lord rebuked me, and this is what he told me. He said, Dave, there... The people you preach to get more out of your sermons than you do. That wasn't a compliment. What he was saying is, you get so busy moving on to the next thing, you're not milking it for everything I want to give you. There's more in that victory that you could have. There's more for you to eat from. There's more. There, you could, there's, there's honey in the carcass of your past victory. If you'll just return to it and begin to meditate on that, there's more that the Lord wants to, to minister to you. And some of you, you have, you have tremendous stories of deliverance and the Lord touching you, but I'm telling you, there's more in that thing than you realize. If you'll go back and, and begin to ask the Lord, God, make me a honey hunter. Help me to see what still resides there. Don't let me get, so often I think we get offended by the circumstances and we get offended with God that we fail to see the little nuggets of revelation that will brighten our eyes and strengthen us along the way. We fail to go back and derive more out of what we've already conquered. And there's more there for you. There are victories you've won that there's more revelation that still resides in that thing if you'll just return and meditate on it. Be a honey hunter. To me, the honey represents the now word of God that will strengthen you in the moment and brighten your eyes and encourage you. That'll make you happy. It has healing properties. It has nourishment in it. A little honey for the eyes. It'll brighten the eyes. It gave him strength. I have a, my spiritual mom. She used to go on these long fasts and when she would get weak, she would take a teaspoon of honey. That's, she would live on honey and water, just eat a teaspoon of honey and strengthen herself for the rest of the fast. Now, I'm just, now this can become a new thing at Heartland. Honey fasting. But realize that God has a little honey along the trail. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and begin to pass out the elements. 
This whole thing about honey having a nourishing, healing properties. I want us to go after that this morning. There is healing in communion. Do you realize that? There is healing in communion. Often people will get healed in the midst of communion. So we're going to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, next time, hopefully, I'll be able to minister more on all the rich symbolism that is in this prophetic act. And understand, this is more than just some tradition that we go through and uh, uh, wrote, uh, you know, something that we just do out of, on autopilot. This is a prophetic act. We're entering into something, and we are going to release what was meant by this this supper that the Lord really... So go ahead, guys. Just go ahead and pass it out now. And then when everybody has it, we'll go ahead and take some. Thank you, Jim. It, uh, scripture says that... It says of Peter. It says on the... Or of Paul, rather. Paul says that the Lord showed him that on the night he was taken, that they received the Lord's Supper... The only way Paul could have known of this was by revelation. It's the only way. Paul wasn't there, but the Lord thought it important enough that he gave some form or fashion, gave the Apostle Paul a prophetic download so he knew what was said around that table. I don't know if it was through a vision, if it was through oral history from the disciples, but Paul understood, and Paul is the one in his epistle, 1 Corinthians, he tells us what happened. He said that on that night, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took the bread first and he broke it. And it symbolized the beating that Jesus would receive. Jesus went to the whipping post before he went to the cross. This wafer represents his body at the whipping post. The cup represents the blood he spilled on the cross. Now, Jesus could have purchased your eternal salvation by going directly to the cross and skipping the whipping post. But he was interested in more than merely getting you to heaven for eternity. He wanted to purchase it all. He was concerned about your spirit, soul, and body. Isaiah is very clear. It's by his stripes we are healed. So when Jesus took the whip, the, you know, the lashes for us, he, the 39 lashes represent those 39 classifications of disease. That that lash dug deep and began to sever the muscle from the bone and cut into the tendon and ribbons of bleeding flesh would be hanging down. And all of that was so that you and I could be healed. Jesus, in his ministry, in his teaching ministry, tied these two things together. Healing, and, and understand, healing, when we talk about healing from a biblical perspective, it is, it is talking about more than merely your physical body being made whole. That's no small thing, but it's more than that. It includes deliverance. The little boy who would throw himself into the, the fire because he, there was a demon that was tormenting him and Jesus said healing is the children's bread. It was speaking of deliverance from demonic torment. Psychological torment in the soul is found in healing. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Jesus bore 
all the results of sin so he could lift them off of us. And that's what the whipping post was for. Once you, you know, many, many people would, it, it wasn't uncommon for people to succumb to death during that type of whipping. Many of them didn't make it to the cross because of the beating that they received. But Jesus held on because he was purchasing your physical healing, your emotional healing, before he purchased your spiritual salvation. And all of that is in this, this passion narrative, this experience that Jesus went through. And so that's why when Jesus picked up the bread, he specifically took the bread before the cup because his body would be broken before his blood was spilled out on Calvary. When Jesus told, there was several passages, we told someone, your sins are forgiven, and people freaked out, the, the, the religious crowd, how dare he, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, discerning their thoughts, said to them, how much harder is it to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk. And he showed that because of the forgiveness of sin, because he was going to take care of the roots of sin, he could take care of the results of sin and lift the physical ailment off their body. And he tied those together. And it's all tied together in this meal. So if you have your bread, I want you to hold it up right now. This is his body. Paul said that the Lord told his disciples, do this Whenever you do it in remembrance of me, we're remembering what he did. But it's not just looking back. It's pulling what he did then into the present. We're laying claim. He absorbed the pain for you. I felt this morning during worship when Kara said about healing, I felt there's somebody with problems in your right hand. I, I don't know if it's carpal tunnel. I think it's right in the top of the hand. It's even like there's some arthritic. Who is that this morning? That it's in your right hand. Just raise your hand if that's you all, all over. Just raise it high. And Father, as we take this right now, Lord, we release what you purchased for us. We lay claim to it, Jesus. Man, I feel his presence. I want you to take and just break that little cracker in your hand. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't take a shortcut, that you cared enough to absorb the price for us to be whole. Now, Holy Spirit, I ask, release gifts of healing right now. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.